Um, our text for this morning is Acts chapter 3, verses uh, 11 through 26. If you would like to turn there with me, please do so. Um, before I kind of uh, lead, lead into this and give the background of where we were last time in Acts, I titled this morning's uh, sermon, which my titles, it's, it's, if you were to see my notes, that like, like the title will change like six times from the time I start the sermon. Usually the time I finish the sermon and the points often will change or how I word the points. And I don't think anyone here is as good as Randy on alliteration, so I don't even, I don't even try. And usually it's funny because after I, I preach, or I don't know if he does this to Ronnie or, or Justin, but he's like, hey, what's the title for your sermon? And I'm like, I don't know, make up one. And he's like, what were the points? And so I'll give him the points, and then he comes back with like his alliterated points afterwards. And I'm thinking, maybe I should just ask you before I start my notes. Hey, how would you, how would you do this? Um, but before I actually go into that, I did title the sermon this morning, um, The Gospel is for Everyone. Um, you know, we could have called it Peter Preaches the Gospel, which I think is what I called the, the title of the sermon the first you know, time we looked at Peter's first sermon in, in Acts. But um, the gospel is for everyone, though. And as I was studying this week, I, I kind of reflected upon that. I think sometimes as believers, we... We think that, oh, God's already saved us, and so we don't, we don't need the gospel anymore. I mean, we got the gospel, so we don't need to hear the gospel. We don't need to be reminded of the gospel. Um, but one, as believers, the gospel is still for us. We, we need to daily be reminding ourselves of, of the gospel. You know, I was thinking, thinking of that in the context of even um, Justin's lesson this morning, and we were talking about these respectable sins, and, and um, not Justin, I'm sorry, Paul, and, and Paul... Um, Address specifically today the sin of pornography, and and gave us a list of ways that that we can deal with it and that we need to deal with it. And I think one of those ways is is to be reminded of and to remind ourselves daily of of the gospel. And it does have this this I think this purifying effect in our lives, this sanctifying effect in our lives. Will God will use that in part to to keep us up from sin as as well as just a just to continue to bring gratitude and joy in our lives for, for who he is and, and what he's done. So the gospel is not just for the lost. I mean, it is for the lost, um, but it's also for, for believers um, as well. Over the, over the weekend, my wife and I, um, wrapping it into this, had the opportunity on Friday night to go to a, um, they called it a screening of a movie down in the, the, the Dallas area. And um, the movie was titled The Luckiest Man. It was about a, a man that um, has ALS. And so we went to the screening, uh, and they had it at this guy's church that I, I guess they were. I don't know if it was their current home church or it used to be their home church or whatever the case might, might be. So we went to, went to the screening of this movie, and it's an incredible, um, just an incredible story of God's grace and mercy in this man's life as he's deteriorated over the past 15 years, which is amazing that He's been able to live that long with, with this disease. Um, and, and throughout this video, um, you know, the, the guy, is, as he would talk, um, and as others would talk uh, that are a part of his life, I mean, they would just continue to share, you know, God's grace and God's mercy. And this guy would just constantly talk about his relationship with God and how God has used this sickness just to draw him closer to him. And even at the end of the video, he had, he had said that... Um, if I had the opportunity right now to be perfectly healed, um, and yet the price of that healing was, was that 
my relationship with God would would go back to what it was like before I ever got sick. He said I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything. I would gladly take my illness and my impending death to have this relationship with the Lord than than to be perfectly healthy and have 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 a week or no relationship with the Lord. And so so the video goes through this, the movie goes through this, and the gospel wasn't clear in it, but it wasn't the producer's point to get the gospel clear. It was just to tell this man's story of of, of sickness and, and, and faith. And so after the video was over, the guy um, and his family actually came up and they had this kind of a, this question and, and answer time. And, and there was someone in the audience, and I was hoping somebody would ask this question. Um, someone in the audience said, um, I think it was a plant, which was a good thing. And they said, John, that was the guy's name. They said, how, how can we have this relationship with God that you, you have? You have to understand the man's in the, I mean, he's completely can't do anything. I mean, he can move his mouth to control the wheelchair and he can talk and that's it. But even his, his breaths were extremely labored. I mean, he had this breathing machine on and I mean, it was essentially breathing for him. And so every word he spoke, I mean, you could tell that it took every ounce of everything he had to say it and it was, and it was painful. And so he tried to answer that question um, and, it, and it didn't come out real well. Um, primarily because of the, 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 the effort that it took to speak. And so the, the pastor guy that was mega, and we're talking big, huge, mega, fancy Dallas church here, the guy that was asking the questions, he, he had, after, after John had tried to answer the question, but, but really faltered just because of the nature of his illness, the pastor said, well, let me, let me go ahead and pick up where you left off and, um, and just go ahead and explain to everybody how they can how they can have the same relationship. So I'm getting excited in my seat. You know, I'm thinking, you know, gospel time here, right? And, and, and which I, I probably was excited for no reason. And the guy just says, basically, he says, well, you can have this. What John's trying to say is that you can have the same relationship with God that he has if you, um, if you believe in Jesus. Next question. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, wow, that's, it's not a false gospel that he just proclaimed. It just wasn't a gospel at all. Really, my first thought was I wanted to stand up and shout, the demons believe that. What do you mean believe in Jesus? I mean, how does, how does, what does that have to do with how, how am I made right with God? What's the, what do I do, right? Um, so I was thinking about that now in, in relation to even this, this sermon that, um, that Peter preaches that we're going to jump into Listen, the gospel, um, one, it is, it is for everyone. The message of the gospel is for everyone, and everyone needs to hear the message of the gospel. And how uh, the truths of the gospel, right, it never changes. Right? The message of the gospel never changes. In fact, if you change the message of the gospel, it's, it's not the gospel. It's, it's, something, it's something else. And though the truths of the gospel never change, how we at times present the gospel um, it does change, and it, and it changes based on, based on our audience. I mean, if, if you were going to get up and preach the gospel to a group of Adaites, I don't know, what do you, what do you call people from Ada? People from Ada that are just your nominal Christians that have you know, been in and out of church their entire life. They know intellectually who Jesus is. They can recite that, yep, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, blah, 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 you know, that stuff, right? If you're going to preach the gospel to them, Right? How you convey those truths to them is going to be different than how you would convey the truths of the gospel to an indigenous people group in the Amazon that has never seen a white person, let alone heard the gospel. You're going to, you're going to proclaim the same message, but how you do it is going to change a little bit. I think sometimes we get, we get lulled into believing that, um, 
there's a very systematic way to proclaim the gospel, and we have to do it that way every time. I know Ronnie and Justin, we talk all the time about, like, uh, way of the master, right? If you're familiar with uh, 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 whatever the guy, what's his name? Ray Comfort. Thank you. Ray Comfort and, and Mark Spence and all those guys, you know, they've got this law, grace, systematic way of doing it typically. And I can even remember the first time I was like, I'm doing it that way. And I remember calling Randy afterwards because it did not work out that way. Like it was all over the place just based on the conversation that we were having. You know, okay, I'm going to start here, and I'm going to go law, and I'm going to do it this way. And then I start with law, and the next thing, he has a question or a statement. And, and so we're, we're kind of all over the place, and right? So it's not always, you know, I guess, cut and dry like that. But nonetheless, it was the gospel, and the truths of the gospel were, were, were being proclaimed. And we kind of see that um, in, in Peter's sermon here. Um, I mean, he clearly gets to the gospel in the entire gospel, but it's not in this clean format of one, two, three, four, five. And so as I preach through this text this morning, I'm going to be all over. I mean, we're going to start off in verse 13 and, 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 and 15 and 22 and 24 and 26 for the first point, and then we jump down to verse 23 and then back to 13 and then back to 20 and then back to 29, um, because that's kind of how Peter preached it as far as the truths. And so I'm kind of systematizing, if you will, um, how Peter preached the gospel to these, these Jews. Right? He, he preached it to a group of, of Jews, right? So there were things that they understood that maybe their pagan or Greek counterparts wouldn't have understood. So we would explain things differently. But just keep that in mind. The message of the gospel never changes. The truths of the gospel never change, okay? Uh, again, if we change it, it's not the gospel, but how we present the gospel, right? How we convey those truths will at times vary depending or based upon our audience. So let's, let's read now, and I'm going to read the entire text. Um, again, Acts 3, verses 11, um, 11 through 26. While he clung to Peter and John, and, and again, the he here is the, the man we looked at last month, that they had just healed, right? Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, right? Stand up and walk. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. He said, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through, <coughs> excuse me, through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. 
Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, before I actually get into these kind of five, because uh, I have five points that I'm going to give you when it comes to Peter preaching Christ, Peter uh, uh, preaching the gospel here, before I even get to those, the one thing that I want to point out is how Peter, he seizes the moment for Christ. And we talked last time, Peter and John, they're going up to the temple. And I don't think they were going up to the temple for the specific purpose of preaching. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know for a fact, but I don't think Peter said, hey, John, let's go up there. Let's draw a crowd and let's, let's, let's preach Christ. I think in part, I mean, I think that was always on their mind that they want to constantly seize whatever moment they have for Christ. But I think it was, hey, let's go up to the temple because that's what we do. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, that's it. Culturally, religiously, that's what we're used to. It's, it's the center of, of, of life here. And so we're going we're gonna to go up there and we're going we're gonna to do that. And I think that's evident by the fact that it says here, um, when Peter saw them, right? Peter saw it. When he saw this crowd coming, right, he addressed the people. It was, it was almost as if he wasn't expecting it, you know, prior to he and John going up there. And so we see how, how Peter sees that moment for Christ. You know, as I was thinking about that, I thought, wow, what a, what a transformation in Peter's life, right? I mean, it was, what, maybe not just but two months prior to that, that he had three opportunities to seize the moment for Christ. He's like, I don't know him, right? When he denied Christ, as Christ was going through his, his crucifixion, essentially, and his trial, um, Again, what a what a transformation in Peter's life. I was thinking about that also in relation to to what we have in First um, Peter three fifteen. In First Peter three fifteen, he says, um, "But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you." Yet do it with gentleness and respect, you know. I wonder if when Peter wrote that, he even thought about that time back in the temple when they had this opportunity to, to preach, Christ, preach Christ, right, and to, to, to seize the moment for Christ, to take that opportunity to, to proclaim Christ. And so here we have this example of the one who just months before denied Christ. Here we have him seizing whatever opportunity he can to to proclaim Christ, right? We, we have that command to do the same, and we have this example of, of Peter to follow, right? That we should seize whatever moments God has given us in whatever way God has, has given us for Christ. Sometimes that's to, to preach the gospel as clearly as Peter preaches the gospel here to this, this crowd that's gathered in the temple, but other times it's, it's opportunities just to, to serve, right? To do things that maybe nobody will see and, and nobody will know but Christ, but to do it for him and to do it for his glory, right? As believers, we are to seize every moment and every opportunity that we have for Christ. 
So I'm going to give you the kind of the points that I have laid out in this in this sermon, and then we're going to look at them again. We're not doing it in a in a verse by verse way. I've more again kind of systematized it based on I guess the point or the subject. And so there's five of them, and they're this. Um, we're going to see that in this sermon, Peter explained Jesus. We're going to see that he exposed sin, and that he pronounced judgment. And then he called for repentance and faith. And then he proclaimed salvation. So again, he explained Jesus, exposed sin, pronounced judgment, called for repentance and faith, and then proclaimed salvation. In verses 13, 15 through 18, 22, 24, and 26, we see where, where Peter explains who Jesus is. And I'm very specific with that point to say, explain who Jesus is. Now, we, we as believers now, we, we interchange, you know, uh, you know, Jesus with Christ or Jesus with Messiah. I mean, Christ was not his name, right? I mean, we know that. Um, Christ is what? It's a title, right? So Jesus is his name. Christ is, 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 is one of many titles, right? It means uh, a Messiah, right? Messiah, Christ, Greek, and, and, and Hebrew, okay? So, so, so Jesus, I'm sorry, so, so Peter explains Jesus to them. He was just this, this, this man that they had killed not too long before, so, so he explains Jesus. And again, I'm going to read 13, 15 through 18, 22, 24, and 26 of Acts chapter um, 3. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, whom he had decided to release. Verse 15. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, he made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Verse 24, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. In verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning everyone from your wickedness. Peter proclaims three things about, about Jesus, or explains three things about Jesus in those verses that I read. And the first one is this, is that Jesus is God's Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. When, when Peter makes these statements um, referring to Jesus as God's servant, okay, his, his hearers, and, and not only just God's servant, but in connecting God's servant with what the prophets spoke right, about God's servant, his hearers knew that he was proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ. That's, that's what Peter is proclaiming here, that he is, he is the servant that we so clearly um, see proclaimed 
in Isaiah. So let's let's turn there. We're gonna um, quickly look at the the servant songs, if you will, of of Isaiah, starting in Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, we're going to look at verses 1 1 through 6. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So let's look at um, 52. 13 through 53, 12. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom the men hid their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are all healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. transgressors. So, as Peter's proclaiming this to, to the men and women of Israel that are, that are standing in front of him, again, talking about the, the, what the prophet spoke of God's servant, they knew, they knew what Peter was saying. Peter was saying that Jesus is, he is the Messiah. He is the Christ that God has promised, that the prophets have spoken of. He also proclaims that Jesus, as holy and righteous, and the author of life, he proclaims that Jesus is, in fact, God himself. Now, in one part, he, he, he uses you know, these terms, holy and righteous, to just heap on condemnation to them, that he was innocent, and that he is innocent, and that they... They convicted and condemned and killed an innocent man, right? But not only is he proclaiming that, but he's also proclaiming that, that he is in fact, he is in fact God. And he also makes that proclamation by, by calling him the author of life. Now, I, Colossians um, Colossians, um, sorry, 1 Corinthians, no, yeah, Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Concerning Christ, Paul here explains that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is he is the author of life. He is the very God that said, let there be, and there was. So Jesus is Messiah, right? He's God. This is what Peter is proclaiming to this crowd that he's, he's, he's preaching to. The other, the other truth that Peter proclaims about Jesus is that he is the risen Messiah. 1 Corinthians 5.14 There's no 514, is there? Okay, I don't know. We'll just forget that one. Listen, resurrection is essential. The resurrection of the crucified Christ, the crucified Messiah is essential. 
It's an, a, a dead, a dead savior is no no savior at all. A dead savior has no power over sin, no power over over death. What what what, what can dead men do? Absolutely nothing. But what can the dead man who raised himself from the dead do? Absolutely everything because he is God. The resurrection of the Christ is essential for salvation. The resurrection of the Christ, the resurrection of Jesus proves that he has power over sin, that he has power over death, proves that God's wrath against sin is satisfied. The resurrection of Jesus is God's stamp of approval. It's as if God has said that my wrath against all the sins of all those whom Christ came to save is done, is gone. As far as the east is from the west, God says, I approve. Resurrected Savior is essential. So Peter proclaims these things about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, right? Not was the Messiah. You get that right. Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Say that again. Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Jesus wasn't the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus is the Christ forever. Okay? God, God the Son is, is eternal, right? It was God's plan from eternity past which is forever, I, I can't comprehend that, neither can you. But it was God's plan from eternity past that God the Son would save his people from their sin. So Jesus is the Messiah, going in both ways forever. And he is Lord. That he, 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 is, he is God of very God. When, when, when Peter again proclaimed this, they knew what he was saying. That the one who spoke to Moses out of the bush, he's saying that was that was Jesus, right? Jesus is God, and that He is risen, and that He lives, and He's as alive today as as He was then, right? In fact, He's He's more alive. I don't know how we we can process this. We can't, but He's 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 more alive than than really we are because He's the essence. He's the essence of of, of life. When He when He rose. Right uh, into the heavens, he didn't like disembark from his body. Okay, now I don't know how that works because you know. Again, I know I've said this before, but we die, our body stays, our soul goes to be with Christ, who who is with his body, and so we're going to be with him who has a body, and yet we won't yet. And I, I don't really know how that works in the realm of of everything, but it's awesome to think about. But Jesus is as alive today as as he was when he walked the earth, as he was the moment he rose into heaven. He is the risen Savior. So not only does Peter explain Jesus, but he also exposes their sin. He exposes them as, as sinners. Verses uh, 13, 14, and, and 15 of Acts 3. He says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, 
whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. He says, to this we are witnesses. And he says, you, you betrayed, you denied, and, and you, murdered, you murdered Jesus, the holy and righteous one, the, the author of life, God's Messiah. You, you, you killed God's Messiah. Back to Isaiah 53 real quick. As you're turning there, this is, this is why I kind of in part say that the message doesn't change, but how we present it does, right? Because when he said these things about Jesus, now reading here in Isaiah 53, um, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. A lamb led to the slaughter. Oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And made his grave with the wicked. Peter says that was you that did that to him. But see, they would have known that. Right? They, they were religious Jews. Right? They would have known what Peter was, was, was saying. They would have known what he was accusing them of. That Isaiah, when he was talking about God's servant, the Messiah, right, suffering at the hands of wicked men, Peter says that you, 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 you are those wicked men, that wicked generation that, that Isaiah prophesied of long ago. So we see that Peter it, it, it exposes exposes their sin. And the reality is, is, is we did it to Christ as well. Right? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Right? We were there, right? Or was it C.J. Mahaney has that little thing in that song where he says, you know, we weren't there maybe physically, right, visibly. But we were, we were there because he, he was tortured he was beaten and bludgeoned and, and murdered in part for us, but because of, because of us. So the guilt that he pronounces on them, he pronounces on us as well. So Peter explains who Christ is. He exposes their sin, and then he also pronounces judgment. In verse 23, back to Acts chapter 3. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. He pronounces judgment. He pronounces destruction as a result of their sin. He pronounces death and separation from, from God to be, to be separated from from the people, okay, of Israel would be to 
be separated from from God. Again, they they knew they knew what he was saying here. That as a result of your sin, you deserve and will incur the wrath of God. Ezekiel eighteen twenty says, "the the soul that sins shall surely die." Right? We're thinking to back to Genesis chapter three in the garden. And you know, three starts with this interchange between the serpent and, and Eve. And as it's going along, right, it's, it's made clear that God said, listen, Adam and Eve, that, that if you disobey me, right, if, you, if you sin, if you miss the mark, um, in that day, he says, what, you shall surely die. And they died that day. We know that, right? They died spiritually in the moment that they sinned. And, and physical death began, and they eventually they eventually died. Romans 6.23, we know, says that the wages of, of sin is death, right? And again, that's two parts, right? It's not just physical death, but it's also spiritual death. It's, it's eternal separation. We're, we're born in this state being separated from God, right? If we die physically, if we're spiritually dead at that moment, we, we, we remain in that for eternally, or eternality, or eternity, right? So Peter's pronouncing judgment on them. Right, and they they know that he's exposed their sin, and now he says, as a result of your, as a result of your sin, you shall, you shall suffer in all eternity for all eternity in hell. After he pronounces judgment, though, or in the midst of this, as it's all woven together, not systematically, not how it's it's arranged, but he also calls for repentance and faith which is where he leads into the good news. In verse 19 of Acts 3, he says, Repent therefore, right? So he exposes their sin, and he says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. You know what? I actually can't think of a better, a better verse, maybe in all of Scripture, that, that captures this idea of repentance and, and faith and, and salvation. Um, he says to repent, therefore, and Paul, Paul briefly uh, mentioned this this morning in the lesson, it means, a, it means a change of mind, right? A change of mind that results in what? A, a, a change of behavior, right? Right thinking, right, leads to, to right behavior. And so regarding sin, right, Peter's saying, change your mind. Turn Turn away from sin, right? And in turning away from sin, he says what? He says, turn back. Talking about turning back to God, returning to God. And the word that he, that he, that he uses here means just simply that, to turn to God. Not come back to God. I mean, it kind of makes it sound like that. It's like he's saying, okay, you were with God. You done messed up. So, so repent and just come back to come back to God, right? What he's saying is, is he's saying turn from your sin, right? And as you turn from sin, you got to turn to something else, don't you? So as you turn from sin, he says, he says turn to God, right? That's repentance and what? Faith, right? Repentance and faith. I mean, two different sides of the same coin. You you can't have repentance without faith. Jennifer and I were talking about this last night on our drive back from Dallas. 
it's, it's not possible. You can't say, well, we were talking about a conversation that she had with someone who was like, well, you don't have to repent to be, to, to, to be saved, to, to, to have faith in Christ. And I'm like, that's not what God's word says. They're, they're, they're the same thing. If you're turning from sin, you have to turn to Christ. And if you've turned to Christ, you've turned from sin. You can't hold on to your sin, right, and hold on to Christ at the same time. I've illustrated that before, haven't I? It's like, you know, I, I was talking to my oldest son, and we were trying to get this concept of, 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 of repentance and faith and what that looks like and how we can understand it. And I grabbed like a, I don't know, I grabbed like a beach ball. And I was like, the beach ball is my sin, and I'm holding on to my sin, right? And I said, just for the sake of this illustration, let's assume that you're, you're Christ, okay? Just for the illustration, right? You're not, not even close. And, and so here I am in my sin, lost, and I'm holding on to my sin, right? How can I, how can I embrace you in faith if I'm holding on to my sin? It's, it's, not, it's not possible, is it? No, it's not possible. So what do I have to do? I have to turn from it. I have to, I have to let it go, right? And, and if we turn from it, I got, I got to turn to something else, and I'm, and I'm either going to turn right back to sin, and then I'm holding back onto my sin, and so I'm, it's not faith. Or I, we turn from the sin, and then now we can, we can what? We can embrace the Savior. So repentance and faith, they, they, they're, they're, they're mutually inclusive, right? You can't have, you can't have one without the other. You turn from sin... You turn to Christ, and what does he say? He says that your sins may be blotted out. Now, now listen, when, when God saves a person, he doesn't save them on the basis of repentance and faith, does he? No. He saves them on the basis of Christ and what Christ did. Can you be, can you be saved without repenting and believing in Jesus? You cannot, but it is not a work that you accomplish. It is not a work that you can accomplish. It's something that God does in you and does through you. And when God proclaims you righteous, it's based on Christ's work and Christ's work alone. So they would have been familiar with this. They would have been familiar with these concepts. Again, we could talk to to someone on the street who's not been Christianized. We talk about repentance and we talk about faith. And they've got no idea what, what we mean by repent. I've never, I've never heard that. We've got to explain, we've got to explain that, right? And Peter didn't have to explain that concept to them. They, they knew very well what it meant to repent. I was thinking about this, that just in relation to the judges, right? Uh, an informed Jew, even in, in Peter's day, right? Just thinking about the period of the judges. Israel sins, Israel repents, right? And they turn back to God. God restores them. Of course, it was this horrific cycle that, that they were in nationally because they, they really weren't truly, um, uh, I guess, God's people, you know, not in a salvific sense at the point. But they would have known what it meant to repent and believe. So he calls for repentance and he calls, he calls for faith, specifically in Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is God. And finally, he proclaims, um, he proclaims salvation. So again, just go through these, and then I'm going to end on that point. He explains Christ, explains Jesus, that he is the Christ, that he is, that he is God, that he is the risen Savior. He, he, exposes, he exposes sin. He exposes their sin, specific sin in this case, right? And he pronounces judgment as, as a result of that sin. He calls for repentance and faith. 
And then he proclaims salvation. Again, we see this in, in, in 19 specifically. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. As far as the east is from the rest, they're, they're gone. So what does God say? I remove your iniquity from me or something like that. Right? In verse 20, he says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Repent, believe, and be saved. Personally, be saved. And then, he, and then he points forward to the glorious return of Christ. See, the, the one who hopes in the Lord, the one who's Sins are forgiven, has, when it comes to, to death and judgment, has nothing to fear but everything to look forward to. Specifically in this context, he was proclaiming the glorious return of Christ. And the one who does not, the one who does not hope in the Lord, the one who has not turned from sin... And in turning from sin, turn to God's Messiah has much to dread for the coming judgment of the Lord is soon. See, Peter preached this sermon to Jews, right? And we kind of see how he did that, right? Um, in a context and in a way that they would have understood a lot, that if I went out on the street and I just, I just read this message, there'd be people like, but I don't even know what you're talking about, prophets and, and Moses and long ago. I've never even heard these, these names, right? Especially if we went to a culture that wasn't, wasn't Christianized, right? But the truths that Peter proclaimed as we kind of strip away some of that cultural stuff, the, those truths that he proclaimed concerning who Christ is, right? Um, concerning man's sin, concerning judgment, concerning repentance and, and, and faith and concerning salvation. That message is for you, right? That, that message is for us. So Peter preached this sermon to Jews, but, but, but this is also God's message to us. If you haven't turned from your sin and turned to Christ right, for salvation, that message is for you. And I would, I, would, I would beg you today to do that. To, to, and if you, don't, if you don't still get what that means or how do, I don't understand or I want to talk more about that, I can promise you there's, there's more than just the four pastors in here that would love to talk to you about that. We have a body of people here that would love to, to talk to you more about, about the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your glorious gospel of grace. And we thank you for the reminder that we have of the gospel in, in this sermon that, that Peter preached. And even the way that he, even the way that he, he did it, um, that we, we see Christ, that Peter preached Christ, he preached him crucified, he preached him risen Savior and Lord, and that if we would just 
repent and believe that we would be saved again, not based on anything that we've done or could do, but based on the work of the risen Savior. Jesus, this is, this is the message proclaimed to the lost that they might repent and believe and be saved, but this is the message proclaimed to us who have believed and who are saved, that we would be encouraged by it, that we would be strengthened by it, that we would in part be kept from sin as a result as we reflect on who Christ is and, and what he's done. How can, we, how can we do those things? I mean, even in thinking about what Paul taught on this morning, and I mean, when we, when we compare that stuff to Christ and who he is and what he's done, how as believers could we, could we want the one over, over the other? Because the reality is sin and Jesus is mutually exclusive. We can't love one and ultimately have, have the other. God, I pray that um, you would continue your sanctifying work in the lives of, of those who you've saved in this church, that you would continue to, to draw us closer to you, to draw us closer to Christ, that, that as we continue just to, to, to hate our sin more and more and, 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 and to turn from it, that we would con- continue to love Christ more and more, that we would love him more and more, that we would know him more and more, that we would that we would live for Jesus more and more, and that it would be reflected through every aspect of our lives, not just those aspects that are public, but those aspects that are private when we're home alone and nobody else is around, that our lives, even in those moments, would proclaim the glorious gospel of grace working in us and, and through us. And God, I also pray that you would continue to save the lost for those who are here this morning, Lord, who don't know you. Not who are just simply far from you, but, but, but those who are dead spiritually. God, I pray that you would give them life, that you would grant them repentance and faith, and they would come to know and to experience your glorious gospel, your life-giving gospel, that they would know Christ, that they would love Christ, that they would live for Christ. Jesus, again, we, we love you. You alone are worthy of all of our praise, all of our love, all of our adoration. Again, it's in your precious and holy name and for your sake we pray.